Oh, hello there, everyone. I'm Lisa Capala, and I am welcoming you to Bridging the Digital Divide. It's been a while since we've been with you. We are in Season 2, Episode 10. The last time we were with you folks, we were on location, which was a blast. That was fun, yeah. Yeah, we plan to do more of that. If you happen to miss that episode, you can catch it uh, on SoundCloud, or you can go to WCTV.org. I believe Brad at the Library has it available, too. And that was about uh, the different, different ways uh, kids and adults use technology. Yeah, it was interesting. And it was pretty cool. And we have it on video, too. So you can see the video portion or the audio portion. But now for what's going on today. So we are going to be talking about closed captioning. Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) I don't know if I thought about it as much until I did the research for this. But I know, Brad, that you are, you consider yourself hearing impaired, right? So for you, closed captioning is probably an essential. Yeah, I can't watch TV without it. Really? Yeah, and sometimes it's just like background noise. Sometimes it's accents really get me. So I've been wearing hearing aids for 15 years now. And so like I've been using it for, for probably more than 15 years. Okay. Um, movies uh, at the TV, at the movie theater. We'll talk about later on. But like I could, I can't go to movies without the, the close caption, which is new at the theater. Interesting. So, Interesting. Yeah. And and in that instance, would it be a situation where you would be able to choose to see the closed captioning, yeah. but others would not see it? Right. Yeah. So it's like a device that you have that fits in your cup holder, and then it's a like, small little screen that you uh, kind of maneuver in, t- in front of your vision. So it's not as good as like TV because you c- it's not like on the screen. So we, uh, your eyes have to keep adjusting. So but, it's an option. Someday yeah. they'll probably have a virtual yeah. reality situation where you can wear like a little <laughs> headset, headset yeah, or something. Sure. Hey, maybe we should patent that. There we go. <laughs> right now. Well, let's talk about what closed captioning is and what subtitles are because they're not the same. But right. I'm going to give you a basic definition. The difference between closed and open captions is that closed captions allow the viewer to turn the captions on and off. Well, you thought it was bigger than that, didn't you? <laughs> nope. Open captions are burned into the video and cannot be turned off. Closed captions are more common with online video. So tell me about that, Brad, the difference between subtitles and captions and closed and open. Yeah, so closed is like you have a CC button on your remote. You're hitting that button is an example of closed captions. So you can turn it off or someone else usually in your family or something who doesn't need them can turn it off and you can turn it on when you need it. Open captions, the text is visible at all times on the video. Uh, There's actually a movement now, any kind of online content, they want to have it open caption because a lot of the times you're not in an area where you can listen to it and you need the captions. Um, but uh, so there's a difference between open and closed. Yeah, and that that probably is more about the human need for instant gratification, yeah. right? <laughs> I'm in church right. and I want to, you know, stream a video, so I have to have the captioning. It's probably not right. coming from a, a high on high, yeah, you know, situation yeah, there, right. but I get it. So some of the benefits of captions, though, um, it helps children mm-hmm. with word identification, meaning acquisition and retention. Reading captions motivates viewers to read more and read more often. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I noticed that when I read captions, because my television is stuck on that and I can't get it off, (laughs) so I'm going to have to have you come over. But I noticed when I do that, I actually retain more of the program information than I do when I'm just visually watching it, which is is funny to me because I tend to be a more visual person. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Interesting. Captioning has been related to higher comprehension skills when compared to viewers watching the same media without captions. And reading is a skill that requires practice. And practice in reading captions is practice with authentic text. Mm -hmm. Well, isn't that wonderful? (laughs) I know it also helps foreign 
folks yeah. when they're trying to assimilate the language. I never thought about that. Yeah, neither did I. So when I go to France in yeah. 10 or 20 years, <laughs> I'll be able to watch closed caption and open caption. I'll be able to do whatever I want, right? And they also it also provides missing information, too, uh, for folks who have difficulty processing speech and auditory components of the visual media. Yeah, so that's Good like stuff. the, you know, someone knocking on door. The caption will say, like, knocking on door or, like, jaunty music or something like that. I love that. <laughs> I really like that when I see that. So let me give you a little history about this. So uh, closed captioning actually dates back to the 70s. So you've not been around super long no. time. Prior to the use of closed captioning, open caption was employed. And open caption was an audio transcription that was burned into the video, as we said uh, open captioning regularly began appearing on broadcasts of The French Chef on PBS. PBS yes. leading the way. Yes. That was 1972. And then shortly after that, WGBH began following suit. Uh, in 1971 in Nashville, Tennessee, they started doing it there. And then 72, a demonstration of closed captioning took place at the Gallaudet College, which is Gallaudet University, and they actually embedded it mm. into an episode of The Mod Squad. Oh. <laughs> so I know they did a remake of The Mod Squad in a movie recently, yeah, yeah. but, it, you know, I remember that show. So they closed captioned that, which is pretty cool. You know, they made it kind of fun, right? And then that led to research of the first successfully encoded closed caption system. And this is where we get into the fun stuff. Uh, the FCC set aside a specific line of video mm. just for closed caption. And it's called Line 21. 21, Nothing like Area 51, (laughs) but Line 21. I have an explanation of what that is right here. So the captions are hidden in the Line 21 data area found in the vertical blanking interval (laughs) of the television signal. Good thing I'm reading this right. The blanking interval is the area of the television signal that tells the electron gun to shoot back up to the upper left corner of the screen to begin painting the next frame. How cool is yeah. that? Line 21 is the line in the vertical blanking interval that has been assigned to captioning, as well as time and V-chip information. Each frame of video can transmit two characters of captioning information or special commands or controls. Well, that is pretty interesting. Yeah. So that's when it all began. And then it got even more savvy because when we got into the 80s, the National Captioning Institute developed a process for real-time captioning. Mm. Now, that's some fun stuff. Yeah. If you've ever watched some of that, it's... It's really hilarious sometimes. And captioning reporters were trained to write more than 200 words per minute. That's crazy. That's awesome. And then in 79, they decided to get commercial television to jump on board. And then in in the 90s, which again... This really is just kind of not that long ago. A bill called the Television Decoder Circuitry Act. They have to make it nice and long like that, right? (laughs) Of 90 was passed, and that bill was passed in order to allow the FCC to put in place rules on the implementation of closed captioning. And then the bill uh, also called for analog television receivers manufactured on July 1st, 93, and going forward to have the ability to display closed captioning. So that means that any TV you buy now has the ability for that, which is great. And then this... This act was a big step in allowing equal opportunity for those with hearing impairments, and the bill was passed the same year as the Americans with Disabilities Act. So kind of a nice uh, marriage there of, mm-hmm. of things that you know you need if you are hearing impaired. But again, I don't think about it that often because it's not something I need. Right. You know. So tell me a little bit about your use with 
closed captioning and how you navigate that. Yeah, so like I always have it on the TV um, and I don't have cable, so I have uh, a lot of digital services like Netflix. And uh, actually in 2014, to carry on the laws, in 2014 the FCC updated regulations that required any kind of digital services provide uh, closed captioning. Interesting. And so I've had I've had Netflix for about 15 years now and like the streaming services is fairly new and then um, when they split it they split the plans for streaming and DVDs we, st- we stuck with the, the streaming and for a few years there they didn't have closed caption on everything and so I wouldn't be able to actually watch oh. certain shows and so it really is about accessibility yeah. so like, I, I, I couldn't do that interesting yeah. and that happened in 2014, 2014 they added yeah. yeah because you can imagine the FCC sitting around thinking well now we're all set we've got television and then uh uh-oh netflix and hulu and everybody else so that must be done through an automated process there is no way they have a room of 60 guys and gals typing at 200 words a minute so they kind of do (laughs) really so yeah i actually went on a tour of the wgbh media access center and and that's what they do and so that's i don't think they do the digital services because they're kind of contract out work and it's interesting they even have like universities um uh, sending requests to closed caption real time, like commencement addresses and stuff like that. Wow! And but it's really that it's that simple huh. um, because you just basically listen and they type what they hear. Right, right. Um, the the issue, the challenge, really comes in where like how many words do you send, do you show at a time, right? Right. And then you have to time it right, and then you have to make sure that's like in the center of the screen. And how do you denote like a change in speaker? The way that uh, the media access group at WGBH does is two of those little arrows, the right hand arrows. They'll say that like the speaker changes. That way, they don't have if they don't know who that speaker is, it kind of clues in the viewer that oh, there's this change of speaker. Right, because we know um, you know in abbreviations or in texting, mm. or I'm thinking of how we put the W for with, and we all know that's what that means. Yeah. But in closed captioning, there isn't really anything no. that you kind of use for shortcuts. You can't. And, and it yeah. can't be universal like mm-hmm. that because it's global. Right. Right. So right. interesting. Yeah. And I guess guidelines for captions would be they have to appear on the screen long enough to read. So right. dwell time. How do you yeah. know how long that should be? You can, so it, it depends on the speaker, right? So if the yes. speaker is speaking too quickly, it's really tough. But in order to keep up with the speech of the speaker, you, you have to move on. And so you right. can time it so you attach the, the text to a time code in it. It's easier to do offline, right? So they do do a lot of offline stuff. Right, because they, they, they can get 100% accuracy right. that way. Yeah. But when you're doing it in real time, yeah. and we've all seen yeah. the little snafus that happen, it, which is going to okay. happen, right? You can get the gist of it. <laughs> sure. I guess it's preferable, they say, to limit the on-screen captions to no more than two lines yeah. on the screen. Yeah, because you can't process all of that. And it's going to take up the video, right? So if there's like a, t- a paragraph of text, you're not going to be able to see the what you're watching. Right, <laughs> and, and also they want your punctuation to be used well, and yeah. you also should spell correctly. Yeah. I've seen some issues with yeah. that. Yeah. Though. But when you're typing it over 200 words a minute, yeah. if you spell with wrong, I'm going to yeah. be okay with that. I'm going to let that go. Sure. Interesting. So tell me about the tour. Yeah, it was great. So they have, um, I think they have like nine people working and they, they closed caption. When I was actually there, they were doing live closed caption with for The Price is Right. And they actually split it because all the prize descriptions, they know ahead of time. So The Price is Right sends them over the script for the description. How cool is that? So you have one guy in the booth basically feeding the script into the feed for the predefined uh, descriptions. And then you had actually somebody on the phone 
doing a stenographer thing. So they have a, she was using a stenographer um, keyboard uh, to subtitle the interchange between who's Drew Carey now, Drew yes, and, yes. and the contestants. Wow. So like two different people working together to send. The, the captioning over <laughs> when it's live. And this is an hour-long show. Yeah. You know, imagine if it yeah. were like the State of the Union address. Yes. Fun, 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 <laughs> right? Yeah. That is so cool. Yeah, it was did, really cool. Did that change the way you look at television after that? Sort of, yeah, because it's interesting. Because now you know what's behind yeah. the curtain, you know? It's, it's cool to see. The, yeah. So they actually, unfortunately, the program they use is something called CC Word, closed caption word, and it doesn't actually run on up-to-date software. And so the, I saw some Windows 4.0 machines there. <gasps> it was scary. Wow. But the issue is it's not compatible with Windows 10, so yeah. they can't get new so- software. Interesting. So it's not it's, it's, it's kind of a shame that it, yes. no one has done this, but it's great that they can do it because it's basically just text and, and video files right. so they don't have to get fancy. Right. But they were saying if any of the machines break down, there's like very few people can repair them. <laughs> you know what I'm happy to hear about that? Other than that it's making things accessible for everyone, which I love. I like that humans are doing it. Yes. Because I thought you were going to tell me you walk into this big room yeah. and there's all these robots <laughs> typing away or, you know, it's automated. Sure. And I know automation is a good thing, but I'm glad to hear that yeah. there are experts You're that still do needed. that. Yeah. That's really neat. Some of them, I would imagine, must have to speak foreign languages as well, because if you were covering a UN address, mm-hmm. let's say. Yeah, yeah. You know, they, so one of the things that's so uh, the offline, uh, the offline captioning that had a couple of different people doing, and one of the guys was saying that he learns so much because he has to spell something right, but if he doesn't know what the word is, he has to look it up and figure out, like, what it is so to make sure that he spells it right. Right, right. And the vernacular, too, Mm -hmm. you know, um, the way we communicate. If you've ever watched British television, some of the words they use for things, nappy, well, that's a diaper to us. You know, so if you're listening to a speaker (laughs) and they say something and you think, what the heck is that? But in their country or culture... It's commonplace. So it's right. pretty interesting. Uh, what about content creators? So if you're creating mm. something to be put on YouTube, let's say, does YouTube automatically close caption that for you? <laughs> yes, but poorly. So I, all my all my tech tutorials that I go and I upload to YouTube, I have to manually do it myself because YouTube is owned by Google. Google has an op- uh, a voice recognition uh, assistant. Uh, and so what it does is it automatically applies what it thinks is it is what the person is saying right. when you upload a video to YouTube. Uh, the punctuation's not yeah. there. So the can words. you go in as the creator and yeah. edit that yep. content? You can. Yeah. So what I do is I take down the automatic, automatically generated uh, subtitles and, and basically subtitle it myself. Okay. I'll, I watch it. Now, when you do that, can you leave in some of what they put and only correct the parts that are incorrect? Yes. Yeah, so in other it, words, you don't have to reinvent the whole process. Yes, right? which is very handy. So what Good. you do is you just basically unpublish the automatically generated captions and then it allows you to edit the script. And so I can do that. I can use what they give me in correct words and uh, break it up into more readable chunks and add punctuation and stuff like that. That's super duper mm-hmm. fun. But I suppose if you're a creator, you really should be aware of that because yeah. you do want to make all of your content available to everyone. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of web tools you can get, of course, for that. One of them that is fairly popular is called Magpie, capital M-A-G-P-I-E, and it allows you to create both a caption file and a description soundtrack, which is also known as an audio description soundtrack, and that can be incorporated with your video to make it accessible for viewers who are blind or visually impaired mm-hmm. as well. So you have, you have everybody covered in that situation. There are also uh, lots of web-based captioning and subtitling tools, and there are organizations that you can hire, too, and I remember mm-hmm. 
gosh, is it Jerry Springer or Phil Donahue? <laughs> At the end, it would say for a transcription of this oh, program, yeah, yeah. you could order it through a certain company. It was always appearing at the end of the shows. Yeah. But I think they stopped doing that because obviously closed captioning yeah. became a thing. But yeah. prior to that, you could order a transcript of, you know, these fun little talk shows. Yeah. But they do have um, some web-based ones. I'll just give you guys some information about that. There's one called .sub, uh, small D-O-T, capital S-U-B. It allows people from around the world to create caption files in multiple languages. So that's useful if you want to send something to your friends in Saudi Arabia and yeah. you want to use Arabic, I guess you can, which is great. They also have something called Subtitle Horse, which is a tool for transcribing <laughs> flash videos online and exporting and converting a caption file in seven different formats, including timed text XML format. So that can be used by multiple video players, including both the Adobe Flash, which we know about, <laughs> and Microsoft Silverlight players. Oh, wow. And then we have Easy YouTube Caption Creator. That's a simple tool designed for ease of use. Uh, to create captions for YouTube videos. So, um, you know, I guess you can read about that by looking up Easy YouTube Caption Creator uh, on the blog, or you can watch the Easy YouTube Caption Creator screencast. Isn't that fascinating? Anything on that you'd like to add? I mean, you just use your own... When you fix it on YouTube, mm-hmm. you just use the tools that are on the screen. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. So you don't use a program for that. I don't. I mean, um, it's probably not as refined as it could be, but right. like it's it's it works well, for me. Listen, if you were blogging and, and yeah. pumping out tons of content daily, yeah, right. I think you would want something like that. Yeah. But where you're fixing a few videos here mm-hmm. and there, you can just do it from the screen. They also have desktop ones, too. Yeah. Uh, Captionate, which is a desktop application for captioning Flash videos. CC for Flash, that one's free. Uh, Flash component can be used to display caption- captions for Flash video and audio content. Uh, lots of stuff you can look up. And then they have also something called Subtitle Workshop, but that's for Windows only. But this is the most complete and efficient, convenient freeware subtitle editing tool. It supports all the subtitle formats you need and all the features you would want. So they say. So Subtitle Workshop. And that is all I have on that. Shall we do some food for thought? Okay. Now it's time for your technology tidbit. Food for thought. So at my tour, with my tour of the Media Access Group and WGBH, they told me that they hold one patent. They hold the patent for the rear window caption device that fits in your cup holder at the movies. So what I use, awesome. they, they have, have the patent. So How cool, cool is that? Yeah. I'm glad they have it, too, mm-hmm. rather than yeah. some big conglomerate, right? <laughs> right? Our friends over at uh, WGBH, that's great. Yeah. And we do want to thank them for letting Brad go yeah, by absolutely. and tour that. That's really neat. Mm-hmm. So we have a lot of exciting stuff coming up for you in the future. Uh, we're going to be with you probably in another month or so. We're going to bring some guests along this summer. And we also have plans for another uh, almost live, we like to say, yeah. <laughs> podcast on location. So, uh, Brad, can you tell them about the companion page? Sure. So if you want to listen to this episode or any of the previous episodes, as well as read more about uh, about what the topic, just go to wilmlibrary.org slash BDD and you'll find all the episodes there. Cool. Well, that's going to do it for this episode. We're in episode 10. <sighs> Season two. <laughs> Woohoo! Thanks for listening, and we'll be with you again soon for Bridging the Digital Divide. <laughs> <laughs>